Hello and welcome to the Oxygenetic Triathlon Podcast. We're brought to you every week by our sponsors, PrecisionHydration.com. Precision Hydration offer electrolyte drinks in different strengths to match how you sweat. Personalize your hydration strategy today at precisionhydration.com and get a free box or tube of pH worth up to $9.99 using the code Oxygen Addict. We're also brought to you by foodcell.co.uk. The next generation of nutritional carriers designed to allow endurance triathletes and cyclists to carry enough food and gels while allowing easy access. Check it out at foodcell.co.uk. And uh, Team Oxygen Addict. Event-specific training plans, coaching support from your host Rob Wilby, monthly video coaching calls and a private Facebook group for you and your teammates. All right, and don't forget, if you're on Facebook, you can get into our free Oxygen Addict Triathlon Community Facebook page, share lots of triathlon chats in there, and um, actually help later on, we've got somebody who correctly predicted the winners of Kona, so we'll have to mention that person a little bit. Oh, yes, (laughs) We, we got it wrong. We sure did. Well, let's jump straight in, shall we, into the show. And I'm sure everybody's first thoughts this weekend have been the the craziness out in Ironman Hawaii. Were you loving watching the footage this weekend, Hells? I was there with my typical Hawaiian hat. I had deconstructed Hawaiian pizza as a little nibble and then poke bowls whilst watching (laughs) whilst watching it on uh, Face Freak. It was yeah. great. I saw lots of uh, lots of photos of you guys wearing Hawaiian shirts. It looked like a lot of fun. <laughs> Seven pounds from Amazon, Rob. Very nice. Worth every penny. Worth absolutely every penny. And uh, Pokeballs are the way forward. What's a Pokeball, Hells? I have to so, ask. So it's like a typical Hawaiian uh, sort of food. So it's rice and um, almost like sushi fish. So okay. we had seared tuna. And then... A load of different like vegetables and things. So we would have had radish and um, I don't know sweet corn, grated carrots, and you kind of mix it all up, and it's blinking delicious. Oh, very nice. Very. There impressed. you go. There you go. It was amazing, though, Rob. The whole race and conditions were just perfect for a go faster Kona year. It. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, do you know what? That, that's the interesting thing is everyone's going like perfect conditions. Now, in my head, perfect conditions are not much wind and about 18 degrees. But I don't think that's the perfect conditions they got. The number of things I've read online from going, the sun was melting the skin suit off my back. <laughs> I think some extremely fit triathletes went extremely well in incredibly hot conditions. It just wasn't as windy as usual, was it? Yeah, I, I, yeah. The, the wind did not play did not play the role that it usually plays. So, in terms of bike, I think the bike generally were around ten minutes faster. I think across the board. Well, yeah, there was. I mean, that was the interesting thing, wasn't it? Some people's bikes were affected much more than other people's bikes. So, you've got to tip your hat to Cam Worth for his performance last year, because it seemed like everybody went loads faster on the bike this year, and he went, I think, three or four minutes faster than his race last year but I think that puts his ride last year into what's the phrase into the spotlight of how good it was in those conditions it must have been his bike handling skills more than anything that allowed him to go so much faster than everybody else last year and on a year when there's no wind or low wind you know lots of people go really fast as well yes yeah and then Daniela Reese time Rob in the in the, on the bike as well 426 we have to talk about the ladies race first there's no i mean the, the first the thing to mention is um the we had some comments didn't we on social media over the last week about 
having missed out, and I feel really bad about this, having missed out in the mentioning last week of the first male person to get on the podium at the Marathon des Sables. And it was completely incorrect. It was the first male to be on the podium, but there's two ladies have been on the podium before, hadn't there? From Great Britain. From Great Britain. Yeah, what did I say? Sorry. No, 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 no. Just sort of make it, yeah, just um, yeah. Great Britain ladies, yeah. yeah. So yeah. Um, I was... I was super upset when I found out I hadn't had the information right because the last thing you want to do is overlook somebody. So it wasn't an issue of somebody being male or female. It's just me not having the information. So I think we kick off today with a women's coverage because I think, I don't know whether everyone would agree, but I think Daniela Ruiz's performance at Kona is possibly the most outstanding triathlon performance of all time, bar none, ever, of any sex. I think it is so far ahead of anything we've ever seen. It's just incredible. It, it, it just her, her bike, Rob. The the stats for the last thirty k. Have you seen it? That yeah. In terms of everyone, like men and women, she was third, only behind Cam Worth and Joe Skipper. It's bonkers. I think the ride back from Harvey. It's like a two-hour ride. Yeah. And she was. She was two minutes down, I think, on Camworth split over that back end of the... Yeah. Just an incredibly remarkable ride. And added to that, the fact that... Have you read this thing about her being stung by jellyfish during the swim? Yeah. Hence her, yeah, yeah. Hence her yeah. worse swim than usual. Um, so to be able to pull up that kind of ride, I mean, God knows what it must feel like having jellyfish stings still all over you as, you, as you're going along. Well, she said, um, she said that it got her both sides sort of under the arms. So she oh. just said that she was in so much pain. But she said, and in her head, she's thinking, I, I really can't do this. Um, I'm just going to quit. But she yeah, said understandable. she then sort of thought, no, actually, it's it's a long day. Jellyfish stings can die down. So I just have to give it a go and crack on. And she said she was ready to do a a Jan Fredino from last year, as in just make it to the finish line, not in a particularly nice fashion, yeah. but get there because of the respect for the race and the world championships. Um, so then to actually put that behind her and pull together just such an incredible performance is yeah. epic. Stunning. And she just ran away from everybody in the run again. So did you, I can't remember, did you predict her for the win? I predicted her for the win. I predicted Lucy Charles for second. And then I nearly got it, Rob. I did predict... You did. Did you have initially... Sarah True for third? Yeah, but initially, in my initial predictions, I said Anne Haug for third. And then I swapped it to Sarah True. I should have stuck with my... <laughs> Shouldn't I? should have stuck with, with my firm beliefs. You should have done, yeah. That would have been impressive. Yeah. And I didn't. But anyway, Lucy Charles, though, wow. Her swim was... It was so amazing watching that. And just seeing the gap that she made between herself and Lauren Brandon, who she's who swam, they like they swam together last year. Yeah. So just seeing those gaps, you're thinking, my God, this is uh, this is just unbelievable. Um, and then she biked so well, she ran so well, and on any other, you know, she broke that course record as well by a long way. Yeah. But it's just Daniela Reef was quicker. I think she'd have she'd have happily taken those splits that she did before the race. Mm. But how unlucky to kind of turn up and do that kind of performance on a day when someone else does an even more staggering performance. That's the thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But she will have her day. She sure will. How long do you think um, Daniela Reef will go on for? That's the question. She's got four wins now. Yeah. 
So that's she'll as many as Chrissy, five, isn't it? Yeah. Do you think she'll go for number five? Surely, yeah. You'd think so, wouldn't you? I'd think so. I mean, I'm not her, but I, I'd imagine so. And then, and then, what, what a debut as well from Anne Haug. I know, yeah, right. Take, take out third, yeah. Really, really like there good. There was some race. proper run battling going on at the back end of that, didn't it? Oh yeah, because you had Rini chasing them down. Obviously, Sarah True would pulled together a really, really good race, but faded towards the end on that run, which allowed Anne Howe to come through. Like Sarah Crowley was there, and um, Kaiser Sally as well. Corin Abraham had a fantastic race, yeah. um, coming off the bike really strongly. Yeah, it's great to watch. I do, I do wonder what Rennie was thinking when she got to the end of the bike, having done a four forty six split, which is only a couple of minutes outside the Kona bike record. And she's always been known as a runner. Obviously, she can ride a bit, but. She's never done anything like that in Kona. She was usually quite a way down, wasn't she? So she must have been looking at her watch and thinking, Yahoo! And then to go, sorry, I'm I'm how far down? <laughs> yeah. Heartbreaking. Yeah. No, honestly, absolutely insane. Um, and, I th- and I think the likes of Daniela Reef and Lucy Charles are just making everyone else up their game as well. Mm. Yeah. So let's go through this. Daniela Reef then takes out the win in 8.26 with splits of 57 on the swim. So down on what she would usually be because of the old jellyfish sting. 4.26 on the bike and rounds out with a 2.57. And then Lucy, God bless her, 48.14 on the swim to break the swim course record. 4.38. So I think that was six minutes inside the old bike course record and then runs a very solid 3.05. So again, she's improving across the board and that run's really coming together as well. Mm, for an 8.36 yep. finish. And Anne Haug in third finishes it out in 8.41. Was it Sarah True you had for third? Yeah. Yeah. So it's only a couple of minutes in it, wasn't there? Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. I was, I was quite, I was quite happy with my predictions on the women's side absolutely got it completely smack bang wrong on the men's side yeah well you and everybody else hells <laughs> patrick langer then rob well what a it was a different day to usual wasn't it my feeling is that that course usually punishes people because of the crosswinds more than anything it obviously isn't it isn't a slow course in terms of terrain. It's an out and back. The road surface is good. Yes, there's some climbing in there, but obviously on a day like this, it's got potential to be a really, really quick day. And I think what we've seen in the past is the really strong bikers with good bike handling can just put time into everybody else because they're confident not getting blown all over the road. Whereas on a day like today, you, you saw there was essentially a big pack, wasn't there, at the front, super bikers. We had Camworth, um, Andy Starkovitz and Josh Amberger. So like hats off first to, to Josh Amberger, I think he had a really smart swim and he was doing some backstroke at some point. I don't know if you saw that, but mm. he'd clearly made the decision. That he, yeah, he didn't want to be out on his own on the front. He wanted some bikers to ride with. So I think that was a really smart move by him. And those guys drilled it away. Um, but you also had another couple of, you know, fast bike packs riding together. And, and it's one of those years where, almost everybody in the top 20 put an astonishingly fast bike split together relative to if you think for years the bike course record sat at 418 for the men Mm. and most of the top 20 have been under that time or peppered around that time this year so it goes to show how fast it was um now there's some interesting footage and comments being thrown around about 
Um, Iron Man becoming a team sport. Have you read this? Have you seen them online? What, because of the Erding Alcofry? No? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So on a day like that, when there's a massive advantage to be gained by having a teammate riding with you, and obviously there's no there's no drafting penalties been given out here. No one's suggesting that drafting has happened. But Andreas writes there's been some some comments made by other pros that there was a lot of communication going on between the two and Braden Curry was on record as saying I hope he gets well paid <laughs> for the job that he did and you're like oh okay so you know there's lots of communication going on in in terms of like yeah I feel good yeah I'm still here from Patrick Langer now how much of this is is like hearsay and reported from the pros after the race you don't know do you but it's it's noticeable that he did that job on the front and essentially pulled a big pack of those guys along at a really really solid pace and fair play to him because he did a he did a superb job. But is it is it um, is it you, you can say I'm just putting it out there, Rob? Is it that much different from you know previously we've we've talked about perhaps some of the weaker swimmers then working together on the bike and actually discussing it beforehand. I don't know whether it's any different or not. I just think yeah. it's interesting. Mm. Yeah. I saw a post-race It's interview. happened for years, hasn't it? It's happened exactly. people exactly. forming alliances. And, exactly. Uh, it's people wearing the same coloured kit forming alliances in this case, I guess. But but still. <laughs> I like it. I like Iron Man to be every man for himself. I do. Well, you could say same coloured kit. They're both Germans. Mm. You know, Patrick Langer said that in his race today, in his interview afterwards, um, clearly he's going to say that nothing happened. So, you know, he said, no, it was, we were both doing our own race. I read that Patrick Langer received two warnings from I a, saw him from getting a referee. One. He didn't get given, he didn't get given a drafting penalty, but he got given a warning mm. or two warnings. So again, who knows how much that's part of it. It's hard to see how close you are to the back wheel. Um, I don't know, Hells. Yeah, I, 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 I think he did a bloody good race. Well, yeah, fair play to him. Yeah. To close it out with a two forty-one, you've got to say he's raced the smartest race on the day, haven't you? And uh, made the best of it. I loved it when they came off the bike, and we had, we had him, we had Bart Aeronauts, we had Braden Curry and Tim O'Donnell, and. Braden Curry and Tim O'Donnell looked like they were sprinting at each other. They, they really, really did, didn't like they? They were going for it, didn't they? Yeah, Braden Curry, when he was running side by side with Bartano, looked Bartano just looked very much more relaxed running style, and Braden Curry looked like he was using a lot more yeah I'd energy. Agree with that. Yeah, definitely. It was fast. I really enjoyed watching that. Um, but I mean, to finish fifth, he did an absolutely cracking race. Yeah, I can't tell you how disappointed I am to find that Bart. Say his surname again. Um, Bart Arnaud. Arnaud. Yeah. I wanted him to be aeronaut, like an astronaut. Oh, yeah, it sounds better, <laughs> doesn't it? <laughs> aeronaut has this has this this air of going really quick on a bike. I think we should Bart Which... the aeronaut Arnaud. How about that? Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So uh, Patrick Lagan takes the win, 7.52. Bartolo, second, 7.56. And then David McNamee, I was so happy for him, Rob, getting on the podium yeah. again. Clearly he wanted the win, but, you know, to be 
back on the podium in third after his up and down season with an 8.01. Delighted. Yeah. Two podiums in two years with a really quick 2.46 run again. Again, yeah. a really, really super performance by him. Good yeah. lad. And then other, other mentions, you could probably mention everybody in this top 10, but Matt Russell. Yeah. What a race from him. He was, well, I mean, so he he had the bike crash, didn't he, at Kona last year? So for people and that got, don't know, Matt Russell got pulled out on by a car and he went through the side window of the car, didn't he? And ended yep. up nearly dead on the roadside. Yep. So to come back and so, finish sixth is just stunning. Remarkable. And then seventh, Mr. Joe Skipper. Yay. Hats off to you. Well done, Joe. 8.05. Amps, again, delighted for Joe Skipper that he, you know, he, he pulled it together and he had the race that he's obviously he knows he's capable of finishing ahead of the likes of Andy Potts and Cam Worth so to make it two British guys in the top 10 yeah very very impressive great and again you look at that and you go how unlucky to go 805 at Kona and finish seventh you know that would have won every Kona bar like two wouldn't it (laughs) yeah 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 amazing just a crazy crazy year but yeah talk about it all night. Let's have a look at some of the age group results as well before we go anywhere else. Um, London centric will go to start with, or Britain centric, but hats off to Robert Drake, who was the first age grouper from the UK. He was seventh overall in his age group. He did 844 Hells, which I think is yeah. amazing. He was one of the guys that Jamie Freeland flagged up from South London Harriers. Do you remember they had three guys that all qualified? Yes. Um, yep. So Robert Drake finished a very close second in the age group race to Neil Eddy at Ironman UK. Um, He was a couple of minutes behind him. So they've reversed the positions there. Neil Eddy was just behind Robert Drake this time, finishing eighth in his age group in 8.45. Dan Plews, who we had on the show um, in episode 179. Yeah, he was the first age group overall. 22nd place included in the pros in 8.24. Thank you very much. That's great. And then Joe Spraggins, who we had on just a couple of weeks ago, um, we heard about how he had got his place at Ironman UK despite being knocked off his bike during the race at Bolton. He had a brilliant race, 9.49 he did. Yeah, brilliant. And uh, I don't know if you saw this, lots of pictures of him with a food cell on his bike, racing with a food cell at Kona. Nice, yeah. nice. So good stuff there. Over on the female side, tell us how Ruth Purbrook got on. Yeah, uh, Robert, but Paul Lunn, I think we just need to mention his name. He was the one that we just forgot there. Third in the male 45 category in 9.08. Cool. Uh, Ruth Purbrook? Yep. So Ruth, well, she is an age group world champion. She said that's what she Woo-hoo! wanted. Uh, third age group, third female age group. Uh <laughs> overall um yeah she had an absolutely fantastic race and so yeah well done to ruth perbrook winner of the 25 to 29 female category top stuff and a final thing there to shout out to gary fellows from the auction addict triathlon community group on facebook who was i believe i went through and i did as much as i can i believe he was the only person to get both patrick langer and daniela reef for the wins so well done gary Top work, man. 
Um, we had one other race going on this weekend that no one's ever going to mention in comparison to Kona. <laughs> no. So Ironman Louisville, uh, the swim was late because bad currents shortened to what just under a mile yeah. but wins there for chris lifferman of he's in the same team as like the bmc team isn't he yeah. and so he's got his kona slot for next year and then a fellow american jennifer Spieldenner took the wounds race so it was 0.9 of a mile swim and it looked like most of the people getting out of the water in about 12 minutes to give you an idea of the currents there holes <laughs> 12 minutes for the 1500 meters thank you very much that must have been pretty scary getting into i'd imagine oh my god that would have been yeah that would have been horrendous i wouldn't mind doing a swim like that though i know i did see that 12 minutes and i thought that is that a mistake yeah Yeah, i did think that cannot be right Uh, but conditions looked horrible out there anyway there we go they are they those are our results for this week and a big shout out to our sponsors of the results section, Precision Hydration. Now, obviously, there was loads of Precision Hydration going down people's necks out in Kona this week because they are the guys to talk to if you're dealing with cramps or if you're dealing with dehydration issues. So get yourself over to precisionhydration.com. You can take the online sweat test to see if you have the signs of being a particularly salty or heavy sweater. The results of those tests will point you towards each of their different individualized strengths of electrolyte. So whether you're not a very salty sweater or you are a very salty sweater, they've got all kinds of different sachets for you. My advice would be if it turns out that the online test points towards you being an outlier in terms of either being a very heavy or very salty sweater, go see them in person and have a very quick in-person salt test done or sweat test done. Um, The results of that can be extremely revealing and it only takes about 20 minutes to have the thing done. So you can get all the information on that from precisionhydration.com. Remember, as a listener of the show, if you order anything from them, you can use the code uh, OxygenAddict and you get £9.99 worth of free precision hydration, either a box or a tube of it. So basically, it's a risk-free trial. It's a no-brainer. I use it. I love it. I couldn't probably couldn't exercise in the heat without it if i'm perfectly honest these days i don't know where i'd be without them so um get over there and check it out great right coach's couch rob coach's couch this week hells we're talking about testing and the importance of testing love a good uh ftp test on the bike (laughs) (laughs) nobody really nobody really loves to be given the test but it's pretty important isn't it so we talked last week and we'll give you a quick overview again we've come up with our training system for 70.3 and ironman distance triathletes the time training system the t-i-m-e stands for testing intensity mindset and effective effort thank you very much (laughs) smooth So we're going to do a little bit about testing this week and the next couple of weeks, and we'll talk individually about the sports. So the first question to consider is how regularly are you testing yourself and your progress in each of the sports at the moment? Because for most people, if they're honest, the answer is pretty rarely, if ever. And one of the big problems is that people who do test sometimes don't really know what to do with the results of the test other than just to go either I've improved or I've not improved. So As you can probably work out, that's a pretty big problem because if you don't have the data or even worse, if you don't know what to do with it when you've got it, you're definitely not going to be training most effectively. So my big thing is if there's any aspect of your training where you aren't quite sure what power or pace or intensity to go at, 
and you're kind of just doing what feels right, then you can pretty much guarantee, unfortunately, you're wasting your valuable time and effort. So the way we're going to go about testing you on the bike is dead simple hells. We're going to get you to do a 20 minute, what we call an FTP test. And what that means is at the end of it, if you've got a power meter, we're going to come out of it with a power number that we can then relate all of your training intensities to. You don't have to have a power meter, though. You can do the same test using a heart rate monitor. And again, you can then get a whole bunch of zones for the, for the different exercise intensities you need to do for the different training sessions that you need to do. And even if you haven't got a heart rate monitor or a power meter, there's still ways to do it if you've got an old fashioned speedo. So a lot of the Garmin's have got like a rear wheel speed, uh, rear wheel speed and distance kind of sensor on. You can use that for your testing as well. But the absolute key is that you're doing the testing regularly. So we suggest every six to eight weeks. And then that way, you know that your zones are up to date and you are completely on top of the intensity that you're training at all the time. Because essentially, you want to remove all the guesswork from your training that you possibly can. Does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense. And I need to do some testing um, at our bike session with the Tri Club. Yeah. Have you, how long is it since you've done your FTP test, would you say, at the moment? Oh, like ages. Cause I've, I've <laughs> ages. Probably, oh, I mean, properly ages. Probably, yeah. I think we did one in February. There you go. Well, I think most people, Hells, maybe not in that position of not having tested from February. <laughs> I'm right there with you personally. But <laughs> I think for most people, we've got to the end of, we're getting to the end of October, aren't we? Season's over and people have been having a bit of a break. And I think a lot of clubs are starting up the winter turbo sessions and a lot of athletes are turning their thoughts towards the winter training. So about now is the time to start doing a couple of harder sessions and then get yourself an FTP test planned in. And then you know exactly what power or heart rate or pace to be training at over the coming block. So you know exactly what intensities you need to be going at. That is exactly it. So yeah, I'm going to do it over the next couple of weeks with, yeah, with our guys. A bit of turbo torture for your group, hey? Yeah. Yeah. Playlists out there ready. It's all fine. We're going to use the same playlist as last year because Girls Aloud comes on at just about the right time. <laughs> I love it. Hey, last thing from me. Um, there's a link in the show notes to this one to a webinar that I've just put out, including the details of how to do an FTP testing. So if all of this sounds like gobbledygook to you, or it's the first time you've heard of it, or if you've heard of it and you're not quite sure of the details, go and click the link for the webinar. I'll take you through all of the things that you need to know during that, and that'll help you get your training intensity spot on so you've been making the most of your training time. Ace. Interview of the week this week, Hells. Oh, Rob, it is with a very re remarkable woman called Camilla Pedersen. She's a superstar legend of the sport, no question, Hells, but she's even more remarkable because tell us what happened to her. So back in 2013, she was like riding the wave, Rob. She was in a really, really amazing form. She had won the Ironman and the Ironman 70.3 European titles that summer. She was preparing for the World Championships in Hawaii. And then she was out training on her final ride in Denmark and she was involved in a horrible accident. She was taken to hospital. She was put into a coma for 19 days she was oh told that she'd never walk again, that she would obviously never, ever do a triathlon. She was told she was going to be in a wheelchair. She wouldn't be talking. And then just a year later, she was crowned ITU long distance triathlon world champion. It is 
Oh, it's absolutely awesome. And it was a real it was a real privilege actually to speak to Camilla. Um because it really hammered home the importance of doing what you love and doing what you're passionate about because we do only live once. And yeah, we spoke to her at Ironman Wales where she finished second recently and then I knew that it was an interview with someone that I wanted to talk more to. So here we go. Here is this week's interview of the week with Camilla Pedersen. Camilla Pedersen, hello and welcome to the Oxygen Addict Triathlon podcast. Thank you. I Yeah, no, you've been someone who ages and ages ago, um, I emailed and I said, hey, we'd love to have you on. And it just didn't um, happen ages and ages ago. But thankfully, I saw you at Ironman Wales. And then I followed up and now here you are, here you're on. <laughs> I'm not really here, but um, I'm here. <laughs> so where are you then? <laughs> uh, right now I'm on Lanzarote, Club de Santa. Um, just, uh, it's a little warmer down here and back home in Denmark. So, uh, and then I heard there's a race on Saturday here. So when I'm here training, I might as well do a, a, a good race also. It's, it's really good on hard training. It'd be rude not to do it, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would be rude. And, and yeah, I guess that's what I like I like about the sport. It's about doing races and test where you are and um, what you have to work on and, and stuff like that. But we'll see because it's it's not that long ago since Ironman Wales. So my body has been a little tired since. Uh, it was really fresh the week after. And I was like, I'm ready to do another Ironman. But then... That's I think it's pretty normal. And um, then on the second and third week, then that's where you get hit. And the so, fatigue. Yeah, then then you get tired. So I feel I feel tired, but it's somehow my run is slow, my <laughs> swim is slow. Like I don't maybe it's my watch that's uh, or the satellite. Yeah, I, I don't know <laughs> because I can't understand. I'm running so slow because it doesn't feel so slow. <laughs> <laughs> Nah. Wales, you um you managed to qualify for Kona for next year so yes you you're in I guess quite a unique position because obviously most people at the moment have as we're talking what about 10 12 days until the biggest race of the year is it strange not being involved actually I like it it sounds that sounds strange um, but I'm actually really happy I'm not in Hawaii this year because I know I'm not ready. And um, I've done it three times now, and I haven't been ready uh, because I've had some issues after I had an accident five years ago. Um, and then I, I did my first I did my first qualification uh, before my accident, uh, where I won the Frankfurt Ironman. Um, so I really look forward to do the race in 13 as the first time uh, and my my second Ironman. But then I had the accident and then I qualified again in 15. But then I did the 70.3 Europeans in Wiesbaden and I won it. And um, I was really happy and really excited about going to Kona for the first time. But then I got two disco prolapse in my lower back. So I couldn't run or sit on my TT bikes 
um, as the preparation for Hawaii, and the doctor said I couldn't do it. So um, it really wasn't the best preparation for Hawaii, my first Hawaiian 15. I did my all my biking on a road bike. I did aqua jogging because I couldn't run. Um, but still, like, I did my first run pretty much at Hawaii, and I ended up at 8th, so I was pretty happy about that. Wow. But then in 16, I had problems. And then last year, I went out of the race because I had a, a deal with my coach because I've been having a hard time keeping um, just high, like a water, pure water or energy in me. Um, also in training, it's not only in races. But then when you race on Hawaii, it's so hot and humid. You need a lot of a lot of water and hydration and um but then again we, we that's what we are trying to do. So Wales was actually my first Ironman in almost two years. Um and we were there to test some new things off. We we're trying to to find a solution to the problem. So um it yeah, it wasn't well prepared for Fireman Wales. Um but it, it was nice to to get a like it was the f- the first Ironman in in five years where I actually had a good feeling about it. Um, so that's why I'm happy I'm not in Hawaii right now because I'm not ready. Um, but I'm happy I have a year to to do more races, to do maybe a couple of more Ironmans, to to find the best way for me um, when I'm at the start line in Hawaii next year. Can you believe what you've been through over the past five years? Oh, it's been a long journey. It's been a, it's been a, it's been some, some hell of a roller coaster, uh, where it's been going up and down. Um, and I'm still on that roller coaster, but I kind of like it. It's um, that's that's why I keep going. And a lot of people ask me why I, I still do it because I have so many. Um, issues after my accident my body doesn't work the same I still have some brain injury and the brain controls the whole body and it's hard for people to see because you can bike you can swim you can run you can talk you can walk like yeah I know but I still have some like injuries in my brain and since the brain controls the whole body it's also have an impact on that one um so for me, it was kind of like starting all over. I had to get to know myself again. Um, had to get to know myself, how my body works now, because it's so much different. Um, and that's that. That's the part I like about it. Uh, I like to figure out, okay, because it's not always the straight roads that's the best. Um, so right now, I'm taking a lot of uh, turns, and I, I also hit a lot of dead ends on my my path then I just have to go back and try another one uh, but it's a it's a challenge and um, yeah it's it's interesting for people who might be quite new to travel maybe or you know they've perhaps listened to the podcast maybe only over the past couple of years they might not be aware of what happened in 2013 so can you just remind them what what happened to you? Um, yeah, I was out on a training. Um, it was the 3rd of September and was in Denmark. And it was my last preparation before I actually I was going to go to do 70.3 Cozumel and then go from there to Hawaii. Um, 
and I was in my best shape ever. It was fine. I was, I won the Europeans on half Ironman. I won the European Championships on full Ironman. I was second at the World Championships. Um, so it was really, it was really a good year for me. And I was still new in the sport because I only, I started traveling in 2010. Um, and I was so excited about going to Hawaii. Um, but then I was out riding on my bike and then some seven kids, 10 years old, they crossed the street on over a pedestrian walk, but they biked over it, but they came in from a wood and then they crossed the road. I was going downhill. Um, so I, of course, tried to avoid to hit the boars, uh, and but I hit some of their wheels and I flew over my bike. I pretty much landed on my my head and my right side. So um, my bike was fine. It was really important. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first thing you think about. Um, <laughs> no, I, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I was I was unconscious pretty like straight after so I broke um I had a skull fracture two places I broke my hip uh, my collarbone some ribs um and then I got sent to the hospital and then I was gone and and then I was in coma they put me into induced coma for three weeks because my pressure in my brain was so high um and it was really, uh, what is it called, intense. Like I could die every second. The first two weeks I was in coma um, because it was it was so critical. <clears throat> and then I started to get, be a little bit more stable. And then after three weeks, I um, they could take me out of coma. But then they said that because of all my injuries, I would never walk again. I should be in a wheelchair the rest of my life. I, they told my family that I was not going to be able to talk again because I had injuries in the, the speaking center of the brain and I couldn't remember who I was and who they were uh, because, again, I had uh, injuries in the memory part of the brain and in the frontal lap. And, um, yeah, so it was uh, it was a little bit hard for my family to see, but... Um, after 10 days, uh, I could stand on my legs again. I just couldn't move my feet because, again, with the injuries in the brain, you like it's the brain again that controls that you're moving your arm, your legs, everything, even though you don't really notice. Uh, but, but I've learned how much the brain actually controls in the body. Um, so I had to start from scratch um, with everything. I, I had a hard time talking in the beginning. And I actually still do. Uh, when I get tired, but the good thing is that I have a hard time finding the Danish word. But so you're I find in English. I know, and so every time I have a hard, I I always know the words in English. But then I talk with an, especially a, a, a doctor who specializes in in brains, and he said it's because that's where your speaking center, where you had the damage. It's where it's it's because you you're grown like you learn Danish from when you're born. But then you learn English later on, and it's an, it's sitting in the another part of the brain. So I'm actually better at speaking English than I'm at speaking Danish when I get tired. Um, that is fascinating. Yeah, so it's kind of it's yeah it's uh, you have learned so many new things. Yeah. So it, it's kind of funny actually, but then yeah, it, it's been a long journey because like the body doesn't react as it does before, like 
for example, my right side, um, it reacts faster than the left side. So if I do strength training, I have to do um, like four sets with the right side and only two sets with the left side because my right side on the muscle part, it reacts faster. So that's also when I'm running and when I'm biking, I have to pay a lot of attention that I, it, it should feel like I'm putting more pressure on the left side than on the right side. Because otherwise, my body, again, is going to be like I'm going to have bigger legs on right side than left side. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's, again, with some of the damage I have. Um, there's just so many things I have to pay attention to. And, yeah, I still have, I have a heart disease now. So I can't take antibiotics because they're going to give me a heart stop. Um, I have osteoporosis. So because I got so much medicine when I was in coma. So I can't run do too much running so i sometimes have to do some cross trainer or run in the ltg machine ltg machine is kind of like a treadmill but you take some pants on and then you you kind of goes into a bubble with that goes air in so you're running with like 80 or 90 percent of your own weight um but it's to take some of the pressure off um because i my body can't handle running too much I'm sitting here with my, my jaw has dropped when you're saying all of this as to, I'm thinking, how the hell are you doing the Ironman? Like, that's amazing. Yeah, but, but it's because it's, it's my passion. And a lot of people think I'm crazy, I'm an idiot, that I went back to doing triathlon because I had an, a crash. And I was like, the crash could have been to someone like to anybody it's not it was not because i couldn't control the bike it was not because um it was not my fault really like i was just the wrong place at the wrong time um and it could it could happen to anybody like it could also been i could have been walking in in the streets in the city and a car could have hit me like it's it's just an accident uh and i love this sport i love all the challenges it gives you i love all the memories that I had before the accident. I love all the memories that I, I get from the sport. I love all the people that's into this sport. I love the atmosphere around it. Um, it's, it's pretty simple to just say I love it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love everything about it. Like you, you always, even though you're competitors, you still talk to each other. You still hang out. You still train. Like, and, and that's what I love about the sport. That's, yeah, it, it's kind of a big family. And I guess being so close to not being able to do it ever again makes you appreciate and want to do it so much more. Yeah, yeah. Of course, you look at life differently. You know, like, you only live once and you can be gone in a second. And um, so you really have to do what you love. And and there's not money, much money in this sport. <laughs> And it's a lot of hard work. It's not like being a soccer player or a tennis player or a golf player, but it's still about passion and about doing what you love. Because for me, I would rather live five or ten years shorter, but then have enjoyed my life instead of wrapping myself in, in to, to protect myself more, because that would kill me. Because um, I love to be out. I love to... Yeah, like for me, like the most relaxing part is sitting on my bike, like 
getting fresh air, the wind, the nature, everything you see, instead of sitting at an office, for example. Like, because I've always been addicted to, to sports since I was a kid. Would you describe the first time you got back on a bike on the road? Were you scared or were you excited? Um, I was a little bit, um, what do you say? I was not scared about going on the bike, but I was a little bit thinking, okay, how am I going to react? Like now I'm going to sit on a bike again and how is it going to feel? Am I going to be afraid of it? Because I didn't feel afraid of biking. But then again, when you sit on it, then how do you react with traffic and how do you use things like that? But um, I really loved it. First time I was on my bike. I loved every second of it. I loved sitting on it. And I wasn't scared at once. And like before, I always been people think I'm a little bit crazy when it goes downhill. Um, but I still love going fast I still love going taking the turns downhill and and it's it's because if you're first scared of being on a bike that's also what I told myself then you you're not going to be going on a bike again because if you're first scared then that's where you have the crashes um so you, it's really important when you bike that you're actually relaxed uh, in your body because the more stiff you are if you're anxious um then the possibility for a crash is a lot higher that's very good advice for anyone, you know, who, who might be a bit nervous for descending is actually it is really important to be relaxed. It's it's the most important thing about it. And maybe I don't know why I have it. I think maybe I have it. I used to play ice hockey a lot and uh, you do a lot of turns and stuff like that when you play ice hockey. And then and when I did my studies, I had a motorcycle. So I was I had a motorcycles I was riding to and from school because my school was 80 kilometers away from my city so I took the motorcycle to and from school for like three years um, and that's also when you've been on a motorcycle it's you're used to taking the turns and stuff like that so I don't know if it's have I haven't from there or I think I just I've never really been afraid of of speed and turns and and stuff like that so it's and it, it's so important that you're not because yeah that's that's the that's the worst thing about being on a bike the doctor who said you might never walk again you might never ride again how have they i mean have you have you been in touch with them a lot since have you spoke do you speak to them a lot what do they say yeah i went i went to see them after i came out of the hospital and then started to to do better um and then uh they were pretty amazed about seeing me and how far i got so quickly did you and run to they... see them camilla did you run or go on your bike to see them <laughs> <laughs> turn uh, up covered in sweat <laughs> yeah pretty much no like most of them followed me because i was all of a sudden a no name and um, so they followed me on on social medias and stuff. So they pretty they knew what I was doing. And um, then I met one of them last year actually on my way. I was on my way to to Red Bull in Austria to do some tests. And then I met him on on the way in the plane. And I, I talked with it was the the main doctor. And no, he's just a really really nice guy. And but they of course they also have to tell people like the worst thing that can that can happen. And that's just, they've never seen anything like me because I was on the in, intense 
um, with the yeah part of the hospital where where they don't see many come out of their life. Um, so for them, it was it's also a really hard work and hard job they do. So for them, it was so amazing to see that one of the people they've been fighting so hard to like to get to survive mm-hmm. um, that she was actually doing well and she seemed pretty normal again and like, all the things she achieved. Um, so they were so happy to see me and it, it's it's so nice also to go and thank the doctors because I know they were really, really hard um, for me to get back to life. It is. It is incredible. Let's rewind a little bit more back to 2010 and a certain Rasmus Henning gave you a call, right? And is that how you got into triathlon? Yeah, Rasmus Henning called me and first I thought it was a salesman <laughs> because I, I was like, yeah. But then he started talking about triathlon and I was like, is it that Rasmus Henning? Is it him? Because he was a big name in Denmark. Um and then uh, he's, he heard that I was an old swimmer and <clears throat> that he was going to start a youth team. And But they, you had to be between 15 and 23, and I was 26 at that time. You were, an old, you were, an, you were a granny. <laughs> oh, yeah, I was a granny. <laughs> and then I was like, well, that, that kind of sounds fun because I, I was going to finish my education. And so I went to a weekend with all the young ones <laughs> and uh, where we had to do some tests. And then after that weekend, he called me and said um, he could see some potential in me if I wanted to be on this youth national team. And I was like, yeah, but I've never done a triathlon like all the others on this, this weekend that were triathletes. And it's like, I've never done a triathlon, not even tried one. And how should I start? <laughs> but yeah, so he got me into it, and um, we went on training camps and with the big, with the, the national team and stuff like that. And then the national coach also saw some potential in me. And um, then I did my first triathlon in May 2010 in at the Bundesliga oh. in Germany. Yeah, so I, I did my first triathlon as a pro. Wow. And then it went pretty fast from there, yeah. And you hadn't swum for like eight years or something. You just hated swimming so much that you really had not been in that pool. Yeah, I stopped swimming in 2002 and then I hated it. That's also why an old swim colleague of mine, he he tried to get me into a triathlon because he had been doing it. But I was like, ah, then I have to swim again. Um, But then, yeah, then I started swimming again and... Then I started, actually, my old swim coach from when I pretty much started swimming, he was still the the head coach at my city. Um, so I started swimming again, but then all the swimmers were a lot younger than me um, when I started. And again, the day-to-day when I'm back home, I still swim with them. And I'm like, they're like 14, 15, and I'm like 35. So sometimes it's kind of fun. They could be my kids. <laughs> you do hear of other pros doing that. Like I, I saw something about Lionel Sanders doing something similar because he was like, I really need to improve my swimming. And that yep. was the group that it was available. It was young kids. And, you know, it, it must 
for someone like Lionel Sanders, it must, um, yeah, take a lot of guts to do that. Yeah, well, again, like, of course, some of the young ones look at you and like, but they, yeah, I don't feel that old. Like, it's not that I'm old, old, but 35, I really don't feel I'm 35. Um, do you still feel about 23, Camilla? Because I do. I'm the same age as you, and I feel, I don't know, 27, 25? <laughs> yeah, well, around 25, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because I don't feel like young, young, but I definitely I feel I feel I am a little bit grown at some points, but I definitely don't feel like thirty five. Like like if you look at my mom, for example, like when she was my age, my brother, <laughs> my brother, he was seventeen and I was fourteen. I know that that's why I'm like shit. Could I really have two kids that was that old right now? <laughs> but then again, it's 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 something about that. Yeah, the times just go fast, and um, yeah, I don't know. I I don't feel old when I'm swimming with the young ones. Sometimes they, yeah, I, yeah. Sometimes I feel it, but, but mostly because they're kids. Yeah. But yeah, I still yeah. love it, and and they kick my ass, and I hate that. But that also makes you you work harder because you kind of get you hate that. That's also why I like I like swimming with people that swim better than me because then I really have to work hard to follow, and I like to bike with people where I really have to get myself together to follow. Um, and that's also I always like. That's also why I like to do races like where I don't look at the start list to find a race where there's not many on the start list. I like to do races where the best are. So I know where I am and I get my, again, my ass kicked. So I know I'm not good enough. I, I can do better. It gives me motivation to, to train harder and, and stuff like that. Instead of just, I could pick a lot of races where I could go out and probably win them easy. Uh, but that's not what I love about this sport. Um, I want to be the best, but that also means you have to race against the best. And how do you prepare yourself mentally for for races? Um, there's, of course, some races that means more than others. So you also have to be, be careful that you don't pull yourself up too high every time. Um, because that's going to take you down at some point. And that's also why... Like for my race I did in France, it went really well in Chardemere. I won it and I haven't prepared at all for that race. And then after that race, that's where we decided that I was going to do Ironman Wales the weekend after. And I really didn't prepare for Ironman Wales. We haven't done any preparation in training. And it also takes some of the pressure off, but we had to do the race to test some things out. And... um. Because if you, at all the races you do, you kind of like take some easy days up to the race, then at some point you can't keep doing that. Then your your endurance will keep going, take a step down. So you have to pick some races throughout the year, what is most important, maybe one or two races. And then all the races, other races you do, like for example, the race on Saturday, it's just going to be a training for me because... Um, 
I'm not going to have some easy days up to the race. I'm just going to do what I normally do in training. Maybe I'll have the day before or two days before, I'll drop a little bit in the training and intensity in the training. But it, it, it's still like I'm not 100% ready for that race because you can't be 100% ready for all the races you do. Then you're gonna, you're not going to perform well when you have to perform well. That's so true. And Camilla, what is harder, running um, 17 kilometers with a broken foot or <laughs> which you did in uh, in one of your Ironmans or watching your beloved ice hockey team losing in a big <laughs> cup final oh yeah see that's a hard one to say <laughs> um oh I hate losing um and then I get uh, my heart is it has a like hockey has a big place in my heart um so sometimes i want to really just want to kick those guys asses and because sometimes they feel so sorry for themselves so yeah um um, actually it was hard running with it was a broken hip for 17 kilometers broken hip. it hurt yeah it hurt like shit uh but but then again, when you're when you're in this, you have all the adrenaline kicking in your body, and you're there for a reason. You have the mentality, you're there to win, and you're really good at cutting the pain out. Um, sometimes uh, it depends on how good you are to corroborate with the science and stuff like that. Uh, but for me, that was yeah, it was hard, but it was it was a big victory for me that I didn't just say okay, I'm out, I'm sorry, I can't do this, like, um, but I kept fighting, because I, I won it, so it was my first Ironman, um, so, so I was really happy about that, but then again, the ice hockey boys, um, they lost, that sucked, but I came quickly over that, then running 17 kilometers with a broken hip. Oh, that's, <laughs> that is so, so funny, honestly, that is absolutely <laughs> brilliant. Um, Camilla, thank you so, so much for coming on the Oxygen Addict Triathlon podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure um, having you on. Uh, my pleasure. It was nice. Hells, I think you absolutely hit the nail on the head at the start of this interview when you said it's all about doing something that you love with your life and reminding that life can be short. Yeah, <laughs> that's, I, I know. That's the real that takeaway it, from that, isn't it? God bless for getting back and getting stuck back in like that. What a great interview. It's great, isn't it? So there really, we go. Really so we good. all need to channel, channel our um, inner Camilla um, this week and really think about what's important to you in life and what you love doing and just try to do more of it. So yeah, interview of the week sponsored by foodcell.co.uk and you can still be in with a chance of winning one of three free food cells. You just need to follow them on Twitter and Instagram. They're at Europe. Send them a message with the hashtag FoodCell and then they're going to enter all the names into a drawer, pick out three names at random before the end of this month and then everyone that enters will get a unique 25% off code from their first purchase. Awesome stuff. And remember, Food Cell, a fantastic, nifty little top tube storage system with a little slidey bit that allows you to get your gels or your food in and out of the thing as you're moving along. 
that's really important to actually be able to get your stuff out of your fancy little top tube storage unit. Because guess what? A lot of them don't work, but food cell do. They work really, really well. You can take it off your bike even. And this was this is really highlighted hells in the photos I've seen from Hawaii. So we mentioned earlier Paul Lunn, who was third in the male 45 category, nine hours and eight minutes. He had one of these on his bike. And they put up a photograph of his bike in transition the day before. It's got the little fixing kit for his food cell on the top tube there, waiting for the food cell to slide into on race day morning. And all around him, all the other bikes have got their nutrition already in the top tube, cooking in the sun. So genius idea to be able to put it on and take it off and wash it and stuff really easily. So top product and well done, Paul, on your third place finish there. Now then, Hells. Tying in with your your thing there from what you've just said about Camilla and seizing the day and life can be short and all of that. We've got another quick interview here with um, with a guy called Peter McCleave, who this is a story that's very close to my heart. Peter was an athlete that I coached in Team Oxygen Addict a year ago. And um, he was unfortunately diagnosed with myeloma just after completing Ironman Wales in 2016. So he started training with us and he was feeling really unwell. And he, he took a break from the coaching and eventually emailed to say, look, I'm going to I'm gonna have to stop the training because I've got to go in for treatment with this myeloma. So he's an incredible guy. He's set up a website called 10,000donors.com to help find stem cell matches for people who have this disease. So... I've read about him on Facebook over the past couple of years and he's doing quite well at the moment. And obviously he's putting all his energy into his website. So I really thought if we could get a 10 minute, a 10 minute interview with him on help raise the profile. So just sit and listen to this, everyone don't fast forward through it. Really listen to this because it's a great cause and you could really help people out. Okay, Pete, it's lovely to get the chance to welcome you onto the show. Um, I'm really, I'm really excited that sort of you're doing better than you were last time we spoke, certainly, and uh-huh. to give you a chance to get your your story out to the podcast listeners a little bit. So, um, so backstory is you were great age grouper, you'd done Ironman Wales, and then all of a sudden we get a bit of an unpleasant surprise in the old health stakes, don't we? Do you want to fill us in with the backstory? Yeah, absolutely. So I'd spent the previous nine months in 2016 basically training for Ironman Wales and then completed the race in September and obviously was was overjoyed and over the moon with, with, with that performance. And then two days later, found myself in the Countess of Chester Hospital and uh, I got quickly diagnosed with Legionnaire's sepsis and, um, and pneumonia which was totally unexpected. So, um, you know, went from the pinnacle of, of my fitness to, to being in a bit of a bad state. And then and then over subsequent months, you know, I, I, I assumed it would would clear itself and get back to normal but things were just not clearing as they should do so um i had a number of x-rays on my chest there was a there was a shadow from the pneumonia on my chest and it just wasn't shifting so they took me in for an mri scan about three and a half four months after the uh, my, my, my admittance to the countess and by pure chance and this is where i was very lucky by pure chance the rate the, the the mri scan uh, was was viewed by a radiographer who spotted some abnormalities on my skeleton and these were lesions, which were um, they were a sign of, of, of weakening, a bit like osteoporosis. Okay. And, uh, and from there, they 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 didn't tell me at the time, but they did blood tests, and then they did another full body MRI scan, from which they they noticed these lesions everywhere. So skull, skeleton, uh, the chest, legs. You think of a bone; it, it was being compromised. So they did blood tests, and uh, I got called in to see my doctor, and was given a diagnosis of myeloma, and I, I'd never heard of myeloma. So, um, you know, I actually said to the doctor at the time, can it be cleared with antibiotics? And, you know, with a very stern face, he told me that uh, it was a blood cancer 
and uh, and that it couldn't be cured. And then subsequent conversations, it came out that you know if if I if I got through the next seven years, then then I'd be I'd have done well with this diagnosis. So it went from, you know, the pinnacle and peak to almost the lowest of the low. You know, when you're telling your family, your parents, you have to manage your children. So I've got two boys aged eight and five now. Yeah. You know, you go from, uh, you know, very high to very low very quickly. So sure, yeah. that, that's, that, that in a nutshell was, was where we got from, from mine Wales. And, and they, they, they think I was actually, the myeloma was there, you know, probably a year before uh, the diagnosis. So all the way through training. Um, <laughs> little symptoms were there but you know what it's like I mean when you're training as a triathlete you know if you're feeling achy you assume it's just because you've had a good a good training session and you know you sort of, sort of revel in it or you're a bit tired and fatigued and that's just you know you're working hard you're training hard you, you just put these things down to to day-to-day living but in reality these are all the signs of of the myeloma sort of manifesting so it was there during training I just didn't realize it and ignored it so um, you know but again, I count myself very lucky that I was picked up the way I was because many people who get myeloma, they, they, they get kidney failure and they can end up in a real state by the time they actually get diagnosis. So, so mine was picked up um, it, probably sooner than, than, well, I was very lucky when it got picked up because it could have been a lot worse in terms of where I, where I ended up. Wow. Okay. So, I mean, as you said, you went from, you went from the high of the highs from completing your first Ironman to all of a sudden being, being diagnosed as incredibly sick. How has the journey played out over the next, this was late 2016, wasn't it? So over the next couple of years, how has, how's your sort of treatment and recovery gone? Yeah. So uh, I was pretty much immediately, it, it was March, March, 2017, when I got the diagnosis, I was pretty much, you know, within, within four to five weeks, put on a regime of chemotherapy and it didn't really work unfortunately so they then put me on a second regime of chemotherapy which was very very intensive and that was the first time I I lost my hair and and and, you know sort of became part of the club you know you actually start to look unfortunately like you have it whereas before I was able to kind of fob it off and just you know just just push on through but then that therapy stopped working as well and so they put me on a third regime of chemotherapy which it, it, it got my, it got my body in a position where I, I might be able to go through what they call a stem cell transplant. And that's where they I had what's called an autologous stem cell transplant. So they took my stem cells, cleaned them up, uh, then blasted me with a big dose of chemotherapy. And then they put my stem cells back in. And for those people who aren't clear what stem cell is, it's basically a stem cell is the precursor to all cells in your body, whether it's hair, whether it's skin, nose or blood. We all, all cells start as a stem cell. So when they blast you with the chemotherapy uh, and then they stick you in a room for a couple of weeks in isolation, the stem cells that go back in will then spot that there are, there, you know, there are good cells missing and they should proliferate and grow into good, healthy cells. And that's the theory. So, you know, over the subsequent year, those are the three steps that we went through leading up to the autologous stem cell transplant. And, um, and I've just been recovering for the last couple of months from that. So I went into the Christie Hospital in June, it was. And uh, yeah, I've just been uh, getting myself fit and well ever since, sort of leading up to where we are today. Wow, what a <laughs> what an incredible <laughs> story in a few minutes of time! And um, well, the, the next thing is, I mean, you've just told me off air, but tell everybody what you what you did a couple of weekends ago. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you so, maniac! Um, <laughs> I um, I'm just. My, my, my belief and approach to all of this is, is one of proactivity. I think most people who do triathlons have a certain mindset. You know, you can sit and have a chit chat over a protein shake and you soon realize that we're all of a similar way of thinking. So I'm sure most people empathize with this. But, you know, you can you can spend your life sitting back and waiting for people to do things for you or you can get off your backside and do them for yourself. So my approach has been to get as fit as I possibly could do and maintain 
a positive mental approach to this whole thing. I mean, just sitting around wallowing is not going to help anybody, at least of all me. So uh, a couple of weeks ago, I, I wasn't expecting to be fit enough, but I um, I completed uh, as a part of a relay. In fairness, I did Ironman Weymouth, so I did the bike leg, and it was uh, it was rotten weather. It was rainy, it was cold and wet, but. You know, it was it was kind of like me. It was, it was almost like a two fingers up to, to to cancer, as far as I was concerned, because I wasn't expecting to be fit enough. But um, yeah, got myself around on the bike and uh, and we you know ran down that red carpet. And it was it was the first step back to you know almost when life was as good as it could be. Because the last time I ran down the red carpet was obviously Ironman Wales in 2016, and since then it's just been downhill. So it's one more step towards redemption. Sounds a little a bit dramatic but I can't think of a better word to use it's just you know a, a further step towards me trying to trying to battle this and and you know do the things I enjoy doing of which triathlon was a huge part of my life yeah yeah good man I don't think redemption's too big a word at all I think it's the, I think it's the perfect word for it so listen next up tell us tell us about your um your next mission basically you've got a website called 10,000donors.com tell us what that's all about and what your what your focus is again with this yeah so so basically i I mentioned earlier on i had a stem cell transplant where they took my stem cells and cleaned them up a bit and that's only so effective there is another type of stem cell transplant called called an allergenic stem cell transplant and what they do is they take someone who is a genetic match for me as a patient or someone else as a patient and they're able to take their stem cells and put them into my body and that they will effectively grow into a new immune system. So I'm effectively getting a brand new immune system. So where I've been given a, a prognosis of seven years, if I can get myself a stem cell donor, the prognosis is infinitely better. You're looking way beyond seven years if it, if it works and works well. So it can't, it won't cure it. Unfortunately, myeloma cannot be cured, but it can be managed. And this is one of the most effective technologies that we have to manage myeloma right now. So the 10,000 donors campaign, like I explained before, is my proactive attempt to try and to try and get more people signed up, not just for me, but for everybody who has um, an ailment which can be assisted with stem cell therapy. So, you know, that there are lots of different trials out there. It's not just blood cancer that, that patients that can benefit from this, but um, that, that's obviously my my focus now. But, you know, some of the startling facts for me are, you know, there's only, two, you know, 2% of the UK population currently on the stem cell donor register which it sounds low, but it gives us a great opportunity to make some massive inroads into that. You know, we've got 98% of the population to try and, you know, basically attack and get signed up. So that's the primary goal of 10,000donors.com. It's just to make people aware, educate people and and get them registered um, as stem cell donors. And and the great thing about stem cell donation is it it's such a simple process. You, um, you know, you, you get tested by swabbing your cheek. It's no, there's no needles. There's nothing. There's nothing nasty involved in how you get tested. It takes three minutes. Swab your cheek, and you and and it gets sent to you at your home for free. You return your swabs in a prepaid envelope, so it costs you nothing. Yeah. And it's like donating an organ, right? If you if you donate a kidney, it's gone. Stem cells, you've got millions of little tinkers running around your body. And <laughs> they're, they're regenerating every single minute of every single day. So you know, if you're lucky enough to be chosen to be a match for someone then you know you are you're giving something for free and you are effectively you could you could be saving someone's life it's that simple so um i mean I, I, it's blown my head away that so few people are aware of it but it's it's relatively speaking a young technology so it's maybe not a surprise that not many people are either aware of it or signed up so so my goal through 10000 donors.com is to get more people aware and more people registered 
not just for me, but, you know, for the uh, for the thousands of people who get diagnosed. And, and you know, another stark fa- fact that I've been made aware of is that every 20 minutes in the UK alone, somebody gets diagnosed with blood cancer. It's one of the cancers that no one really talks about or is, is really aware of, but it's becoming more and more prevalent. So, mm. you know, you shouldn't if you get diagnosed, you shouldn't have to go searching for a stem cell donor. As far as I'm concerned, it should be as readily available as aspirin. And that's kind of my mantra for this whole project. It's it's to get that donor registered. So, you know, in a bunch of years, if somebody gets given the message I was given, the doctor can say, but we've checked the register and we found your match and you're going in next week to get a stem cell donation rather than me spending the last four or five months and however long into the future I do this trying to find a stem cell match. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It sounds, it's such a great cause and it's such a simple way. I know because you're relatively local to us, there's loads of the guys from our tri club have, uh, have posted pictures of themselves on social media. They've got the kit, swabbing the cheek, sending it back. Um, and it really is just as simple as going to your website, 10,000donors.com, clicking on a thing and registering. And then who knows, you might be in a position to save somebody's life, right? Absolutely. And the great thing is, so in, we've only been running this campaign now for five weeks. In the first five weeks, we've already got over 1,300 people signed up. And I've had three people, and I was told of the third person yesterday, who've actually been matched with somebody. So they've all gone down to London and they've all been, you know, had given done the stem cell donation for somebody uh, in the world because the, the, glo- the register itself is a global register. So, you know, wow. th- there are three lives that have been directly They've been able to directly benefit lives that could have potentially been saved by our campaign alone, and and excuse me, plenty of other people are you know trying to trying to raise awareness. But um, you know, it's 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 incredible to know that in such a short space of time we've got that many people and three matches already, and and it can only it can only go one way, and that's up. So you know, even when I hit the ten thousand mark, which I've got no doubt this campaign will, I'll just stick a zero on the end of the target and start again. And then when Good we hit man. that target another zero and start again it's just it's the only way to attack this it's just making people aware and getting out there well that's brilliant well i'll tell you what we've got we've got over three thousand weekly listeners on the show and every month we get something like seven thousand unique listens so who knows man if every one of those people registered we'd be well on the way to the ten thousand donors wouldn't we (laughs) we'd be absolutely incredible and uh you know you, you even if you don't get called up straight away there is there is a greater potential there to, to, to impact somebody's life and it's not you know the thing that it's like any cancer it transcends race gender bank balance all the things that we get you know siloed off in every single day it doesn't matter what your background is because this this thing can sadly impact anybody and this is our way of coming together and saying screw this yeah we we can make a difference here we can we can we can fight this together and that's that's the other you know another one of my big aims is it's it's to make people aware but bring people together and find find things that we have in common rather than those differences that so so readily get focused on in the papers and the news you know wherever every day yeah man well i tell you what the the podcast community stand next to you with this one and uh, i'm really hoping we can get tons and tons of sign-ups for you um and uh what have you got planned for next year in terms of in terms of triathlon action where can people see you man because it'd be great if they uh if they donated and then got to meet you in person what have you got lined up well, at the moment, nothing. As I say, the Weymouth thing was a bit of a was was a nice thing to be able to do. It was an unexpected thing to be able to do after the transplant. So, I know I've got one friend who's going to Mallorca. In my head, I've still got. I'd love to go back and do Wales again. It was it was an incredible race. But um, I don't know. I've always I've always fantasied doing the Norseman, that crazy thing where you jump off yeah, the back. Yeah, yeah. 
but uh, it's it's you know it's, it's really hard to get into that so now i'm still open to uh, to ideas as to what to do next year but i'm definitely you know getting getting back and doing the full try is absolutely the key so um i don't know I'll, Good. as soon as i've booked it i'll let you know rob <laughs> well you do that as soon as you've as soon as you've booked it you let us know we'll get it out on the show and who knows maybe there'll be a, a little community of people pushing alongside you on race day hey Oh, definitely, definitely. I mean, look, at the very least, I'm out there supporting my friends who have been running triathlon for a bunch of years. So, um, you know, I'm going to be there. If if I'm not doing it, I'm certainly supporting people next year. Great stuff. Right. So, again, that website is 10,000donors.com. You just click the link, put your name in and get the swab kit through the post. Absolutely. It's, It's that simple. Cost you nothing. Three minutes of your time brilliant stuff well listen peter on behalf of everybody we, we wish you all the best with your uh, with your continued recovery my man and uh, look forward to hearing about uh well hopefully crossing the finish line in wales next year absolutely yeah so thanks so much for engaging with this robin for giving me the opportunity to come and talk to you really appreciate it no problem man speak to you again soon cheers rob thanks bye pretty groovy hey hells that you can just get posted through the post a little a little mouth swab and who knows you could potentially save somebody's life just by going and donating some some blood cells and i know a lot of people who've done that recently um yeah including um yeah people he's got a lot of friends in our club hasn't he he's got a lot of friends in our club who have who've been doing this so uh yeah if anyone listening can sign up uh and and be a be a potential donor that'd be absolutely brilliant we've got close to 7,000 unique listeners every month these days so if every one of you signed up Peter would be nearly all of the way there to his to his target so please do it <laughs> yep no that's cool right Rob some news to finish off with yeah um so first up always aim high we talk a lot about slate man and Sandman and some of the other amazing races next year you're going to be able to do a slate man legend which will be a uh, 1.9k swim, 91k bike, and a 21k run around Snowdonia. Nice little tasty bit of uh, 1,660 meters of ascent, Rob, on that bike. Nice. I'm looking forward nice. to that. I'm thinking that nice. might be my entry for May. Quite fancy that myself, Hells. It'll be good, that one. It sure will. Next up, the 70.3 Worlds are heading to Taupo in New Zealand in 2020. What a stunning place to have it. Good on them. Yeah, that'd be very, very nice, wouldn't it? And then, Rob, the final little bit was, um, did you see some of the pictures of the Shiv, the bike that Lucy Charles and, and mm. Tim Don and a couple of others are riding this week? I did. At Kona. It just, didn't it just look amazing? So basically, it was very, very different. And all of the um, like the hydration system was on the back of the bike. And then it's got this like nifty tube all the way through. Um, which then with the straw like up at the front end but yeah it looks very very nice so go and <laughs> check out some pictures of it and I'm not usually like a bike sort of person you're that's more you isn't it yeah um, but I you know I'm not out. a big fan health I looked at it and I was like mm, no it's not doing it for me well but it's, it's horses for courses yeah, yeah they've done something new if you've got a spare 14,000 then there you go <laughs> fully boots <laughs> <laughs> that's it and my one last thing Rob thank you very much Naomi Wright for uh, dragging my sorry butt to the finish line at our first cross country match of the season she didn't have to at all I blew up spectacularly with about a mile to go and uh, she came back past me and said come on Helen stick with me oh, bless. <laughs> like, okay <laughs> all right everyone listen thanks very much for listening you've been listening to the Oxygen Addict Triathlon podcast I'm coach Rob Wilby I'm Helen Murray And until next week, have a great safe training and racing week. And remember, get out there and do something that you love because life can be short. See you next week, everybody. See ya.